This is Cast Club Radio. Brought to you by Heritage Distilling. On Cast Club Radio, we believe every spirit has a story. And stories like good drinks are always better when shared with friends. Each week, we'll explore the intersection of cocktails, spirits, beer, wine, and life. It's Cast Club Radio. Here's your hosts, Lydia Cruz and Justin Stiefel. Good afternoon, friends. Welcome to another episode of Cast Club Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us on this fine World Gin Day. My name is Lydia Cruz. Yeah. Uh, and I'm Justin Stiefel. And I'm Maura Dooley. I, I mentioned it there. It's, it's a national holiday. <laughs> Maybe not one you'll find on the traditional calendars, but today is World Gin Day. Excuse me, not even a national day. It's a world holiday. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a holiday It's because uh, <laughs> a lot of people are still working, but it is uh, a celebration of gin around the world. And gin growth is on a tear right now globally. Uh, the fastest growing gin brand right now happens to be Aviation Gin. If you've seen Ryan Reynolds uh, and all of his travails on TV and social media, that helps explain it. And uh, he just came out with a new ad this week talking about how he hand blows all the glass bottles to make the aviation gin <laughs> in a parody, of course, because he doesn't yes. actually do that. Wouldn't have the time, man, between all those <laughs> yeah. acting gigs. So That's what right. is behind World Gin Day? We found some research on this, right? Yeah, well, it really started in uh, around 2009. A couple gin enthusiasts, they call themselves gin friends, uh, they decided to celebrate this in London, and uh, they started off in Soho. And uh, every year it's grown more and more and more. And now uh, they have events in over 30 countries around the world. And uh, they reach over 200 million people on social media celebrating World Gin Day. Well, Lydia, I know in your travels abroad for the Seahawks London game last year, and then you Mm -hmm. went over to Scotland too, right? You said that gin was very prevalent. Yeah, I was really surprised and pleasantly so. Brought back... Probably too many samples of gin from Scotland for my mom. <laughs> Never too many. Right? Just as many as that you can fit into your suitcase. That's all that matters as long as it, it's under the weight limit. But really impressed with how much gin is just taking off in all these sort of small distilleries that are really focusing on it and making some inventive cool things. Rhubarb gin was the one that my mom absolutely went crazy for and... Um, yeah, I'm seeing it more and more, which, as you know, I am loving because as I'm a huge gin drinker, that's probably my number one spirit. So I'm all about it. Later in the hour, we'll actually talk to our friend, Distiller Dane. We get to see his excitement level for World Gin Day, which I think is also like a 14 out of a 10. He had, there's even a, a shirt that in, that's involved, some some special creations that he makes for the day. So we're excited to talk to him later in the hour. Also, we are thinking ahead, too, to Father's Day is right around the corner next week. And if you want to plan a great outing with your dad, we found one for you. We did the legwork for you. So later in this hour, a great event to share with your dad for Father's Day. Until then, though, what is going on this week in the headlines? Well, uh, this came to us from the drinksbusiness.com. Opportunist alligator raids a Florida home's wine cabinet. And uh, a thirsty alligator broke into a Florida home through one of the windows, headed right for the kitchen, raided the wine cabinet. Uh, It was around 3.30 in the morning. The owner went downstairs to investigate what was making all the noise and discovered a huge alligator. And I'm looking at the picture of it right now, and it is 
it's probably 14 feet long from oh snout to tail. Uh, yeah, so uh, she was terrified. She let the gator have the wine, ran upstairs, called the police. The story says here it's it's uh, only a 10-foot gator, but 10 feet is still uh, quite large. He tried to snap up several bottles of the wine and uh, took 10 police officers and two wildlife trappers over two hours to oh capture the reptile and remove it from the property. No one was hurt. The alligator suffered a few minor cuts, and uh, he raided one of the wines in 94. I just, I can't, I don't understand. You see this? Like all the time in Florida. Yeah, I was going to say, this sounds like Florida news, but even the animals in Florida are just making crazy headlines. This is, uh, you know what? At that point, you you give the gator anything they yes, want. Yes, you want my you wine. You take all the wine. You want my scotch. You want anything. <laughs> you want my alligator boots? Yeah, they're yours. Yeah. yeah. Next up, uh, we've been talking about the saga of Miller Coors and Anheuser-Busch from those Bud Light ads where they accused Miller Coors and Coors Light, um, Miller Light of using corn syrup in those ads. And I was saying uh, we I, almost need like our own sound effect or sound music, like our days of our li- like days of our lives right. music for this because the saga has gone on back and forth and now <laughs> a new development. New development. A Wisconsin judge has ordered Anheuser-Busch, the company that makes Budweiser and Bud Light, to stop suggesting in advertising that Miller Coors Light Beer contains corn syrup. Uh, litigation's been bouncing back and forth. Miller Coors sued uh, Anheuser-Busch in March, saying that they had spent as much as $30 million on false and misleading campaigns, including $13 million in the first commercials during the Super Bowl alone. Remember, they dropped $13 million just just for Super Bowl ads. The ruling doesn't affect all of the advertising, only uh, those uh, that are new, and uh, it allows the commercials that premiered at the Super Bowl to keep airing. Now, this is interesting. I was in Texas uh, this week, and I uh, was at a establishment, and up comes on the TV a, a Miller Lite ad uh, with a can, and it says, Miller Lite, uh, tastes great, no sugar added. Uh, and I thought, okay, they're finally starting to respond in the market, but it's probably too late. But also, too, is this bad for either side that they're in so many headlines now to come out of this? I mean, we've talked about this how many different times? Like, yeah. in a way, they're both still getting advertising after the fact. That's right. Lots of free advertising, except in this case, it's not really free because both companies are paying out the wazoo for all Legal of the lawyer's fees. fees. True, true, true. Yeah. <laughs> I actually did see an ad a while ago. I only saw it once, but Miller Lite did one where it's all of the like medieval people from the yes, Bud Light commercial where they well. where they talk about corn syrup, and then they it cuts like the a scene just cut out the of a director movie, cut and then all of the actors for the Bud Light commercial start drinking Miller Lite. Yeah, so I thought that was actually a pretty that was good clever, one. but I've only seen it once. So maybe, so maybe that was maybe theirs has been taken off since then oh, too. No. It's, uh, this is fascinating to me because we live, too, in a culture where you see political ads that are directly attacking competitors and things. But how it's this is fascinating to me how almost you you can't be on that negative advertising bandwagon. Well, yeah, we talked last week about, uh, you know, you, you're under federal guidelines for alcohol. You're not allowed to disparage a competitor mm-hmm. um, and that's specific to alcohol. But in this case. One of Anheuser-Busch's defenses is we're not disparaging them. We're just letting people know that they use a certain ingredient when they make their product. It's up to competitor, the consumers if they like that or not. 
but it, the way they're presenting it is is coming across in a misleading way. And it sounds like one of those arguments you make to your parents when you're a kid. Well, I didn't actually do that. I just sort of did this. I feel like yeah. I've made a few of those arguments. My mom it's not our fault they use corn syrup in their beer, right, Your Honor. Mom? You know? <laughs> Coming up on Cast Club Radio, it might seem like a simple thing. What temperature should your favorite adult beverage be stored at? In the refrigerator, out of the refrigerator? You might be surprised at some of these answers. It's next on Cast Club Radio. back to Cast Club Radio. Thanks again for hanging out with us on World Gin Day. I'm excited to have you here. We also have some other things to talk about as well, including what's the best temperature to keep and store your favorite beverage in the fridge, out of the fridge. It actually might seem more complex than you think. Justin, where did we get this great article from? This comes from the folks at MSN, Microsoft News, msn.com, and uh, they interviewed beverage expert Anthony uh, Caporal and uh, went through the litany of the various categories of alcohol that you would assume require specific temperatures for storage and service. And a few were a little surprising to a few folks, and then a few really weren't discussed that we can we can talk about uh, briefly here. But the first one, surprisingly, was port wine. Uh, port wine is fermented. It's a sweet, dark red wine. It comes from Portugal, uh, hails from the city of Porto, and uh, it's often thought of as a dessert wine because of its rich flavor. That's how we drink it over here in the U.S. But it has a pretty low alcohol content relative to other alcohols, and uh, they are uh, suggesting that it is refrigerated, but they don't give us any specific temperature. So best piece of advice here in this article, like the overreaching statement is that fermented beverages, right, best kept in the fridge, distilled drinks can typically be left out. That's right. I'm not going to lie, when I worked at a restaurant, we did not refrigerate the port wine. Um, Sherry, we did, because it mentions that in here too, but so I'm learning something. Maybe they have changed (laughs) that since changed the policy. Well, and there's a difference between, you know, what's shelf-stable sitting on your shelf versus after you open it, um, what do you have to do to preserve it? So it's not the same as how do you serve it versus what's the best way to preserve it. And uh, you're right, something that's fermented, typically going to be like a beer, you know, 3.2 up to 9% alcohol, wine, uh, 14 15%, ports, sherries, those types of things, up to uh, 18 19 in some cases 22%. Not a lot of alcohol, and uh, it'll inhibit some microbial growth, but not all of it. That's why you want to keep it refrigerated after you open it. Next up on the list, beer, the ubiquitous beer. Now, this is interesting because it says beer is usually served at 40 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, most refrigerators at home run in that 38 to 42 degree range for consumer fridges. Uh, People like to sit back and crack open a cold one. Now, there are some examples, though, where it's not chilled at all. And uh, over in the U.K. and Great Britain, you know, they laugh at us for drinking chilled beer. They prefer their beer room temperature. Wow. Yeah, I've seen that actually frequently. Yeah. In Ireland, I know that Guinness is definitely served room temperature. There's, yeah, 
quite a few. It's, but you know, it's almost it's like that with sodas in a lot of European countries too. When I served a lot of people from those countries, they didn't want ice. Yeah, it. ice and isn't really a for thing. For some reason, we're obsessed with having drinks cold here. We are. They don't really put it even in their water there. So, yeah, just a cultural difference. Well, in some cases, especially in Asia, the water source is not purely clean. Yeah, and so also ice, Mexico. Mexico, too, yeah. yeah. Ice is... Uh, a luxury uh, item. A luxury, yeah. yeah. Uh, next up on the list is vodka. Uh, most people serve it out of the fridge. Some people keep it in the... Uh, freezer and a lot of people who keep bottles of vodka in the freezer mm-hmm. for all of our consumer refrigerators and freezers it won't get cold enough to freeze the vodka into a solid uh, unless you've got high sugar content in there and a low alcohol um, of course you know when you're making any kind of vodka t- cocktail um, how many vodka cocktails can you think of that don't get served either chilled or shaken on ice uh, almost everyone out there uh, comes on ice or comes shaken, so it's been chilled before it gets put in the final serving glass. Yeah, you know, you you hear a lot about or see people order whiskey and scotch and things like that neat, but you, I don't think I ever served anyone a, a vodka neat. <laughs> no, no, <Yeah. clears throat> no, no. And uh, the temperature affects the flavor profile as it's perceived by humans. So something that's cold out of the freezer, out of the fridge. Um, the molecules aren't quite as open, and so mm. you don't get as many of the aromatic notes that you would taste. It's one reason why you don't serve gin um, chilled until you're ready to make it into the drink yeah. because gin has those great flavors you want to experience. Interesting. And I, I, I can say that this is the only alcohol that I've ever kept in the freezer. I'm thinking back to it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that is the only one that I've ever uh, kept in my icebox, so to mm-hmm. speak. Well, next up is Jägermeister. Uh, it is a liqueur, and uh, it has dozens of different herbs and spices in it. It's a secret recipe. A lot of people serve it chilled. You'll see it at bars and restaurants uh, before Fireball was big. They had the <laughs> Jägermeister chillers upside down. Yeah. At our house, we keep the bottle in the freezer because then oh, you wow. just take it out and have a shot. It's already chilled. Same with uh, Sambuca and Uzo. Those are best served out of the freezer, chilled, in my opinion. Um, they don't give us a uh, particular temperature range, but Jägermeister, try it at home, put it in the freezer, and you'll enjoy it. Yeah, every bar I worked at, that's kept in the freezer, along with, mm-hmm. like a, like you mentioned, Sambuca, Tawaka. Those really syrupy sweet ones are pretty gross warm, if you ask me. Yeah, I don't <laughs> or know. Or room temperature. You'd have to be a glutton yeah. for punishment <laughs> Definitely enhances it to keep it cold. Yeah. And this article doesn't talk about BSB, uh, our brown sugar bourbon, but we also uh, like to keep it in the freezer at home and, oh, and nice. drink it straight that way if we're not mixing it into a, a whiskey-type cocktail. Just a plug there. <laughs> uh, next up on the list, uh, white wine versus red wine. White wine is best served at 50 degrees. Um, you'll see it in the refrigerators quite often. Uh, I'll even see some people drop an ice cube in it once in a while if it's, if it's uh, really warm out and then they'll pull the ice cube out. Um, some people will, um, if the wine is not really fancy and really expensive, they'll put ice in their glass, roll it around to chill it, empty the gla- ice out, and then pour the white wine in. Whereas uh, red wine is best served at 55 degrees, and we want the red wine to be warmer because we want those really powerful berry and uh, deep, rich notes and tannins to come out when you are sampling the wine. I will say I've drank most red wine at just room temperature, and I... 
I appreciate the comments from this expert saying that, you know, just 15 minutes before you're going to serve it, you can think of just sticking it in the fridge to lower it a little bit from room temp, usually around 68 to that desired 55 degrees. I've never thought to do that. So um, maybe I'll give that a try and see if I can taste a, a significant yeah. difference. You don't want it cold, but he says getting it like just above just, roof temp. Yeah. I'm with you. We keep it at room temperature at our house and we open it. And uh, what I find is that the bottle doesn't last long enough to worry about what the temperature is going to be. <laughs> so true. <laughs> <clears throat> <laughs> uh, next up is Irish cream. Some of those derivatives. It is really uh, a, a liqueur uh, with cream added. Uh, again, we always keep that in the fridge or freezer at our house because you know usually when you're having it, unless you're going to put it in coffee, you're going to have it in some kind of uh, drink that would be chilled anyway. We put Bailey's in milkshakes, and we make these uh, amazing Bailey's Irish cream oh, milkshakes yeah. uh, with vanilla and chocolate syrup, and uh, of course the colder the better yeah def- i would think anything with cream yeah definitely please keep in the fridge yeah. but you can put it in hot things like coffee and it's delicious as well that's right and last up is champagne the ubiquitous champagne sparkling wines proseccos those kinds of things uh, according to the article best served at 40 degrees in fact they talked to the food and drug administration and they recommend keeping the fridge set to 40 degrees which we talked about earlier most domestic uh, residential fridges are going to run in that range, 38 to 42. So if you keep it at 40, then you know when you put your champagne in there, you'll be set to go. I mean, this is another one where I like champagne so much that I feel like I've even had it when it's warm before, which is not a great idea. But yeah. <laughs> it takes away from it a little. Yeah, definitely does. But um, yeah, this is one where it's definitely better chilled and Thankfully, anytime you're getting it out in a celebratory experience, I feel like it's always at the perfect temperature. And they always give you a bucket of ice to yes, keep just that in nice case. Yeah, yeah. Like white wine, the colder it is, the crisper it's going to feel to you, mm-hmm. and uh, that just has a certain effect on your palate. Speaking of getting the most out of your beverage, a great person to talk to about that would be Distiller Dane. We usually get to talk to him for our top five segment, but now we get to talk to him for a longer period, which will be really cool because it is. World Gin Day today, and he takes this day very seriously. I think there's a t-shirt involved. Also got some pretty cool experiments over at Heritage Distilling. We'll talk to him next on Cast Club Radio. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio right now, joined by one of our favorite people, Distiller Dane. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. How's everyone doing? Excellent. Uh, even better, since we know it's World Gin Day today, and also knowing that this day might might be uh, one of your favorites, too, as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Almost, <laughs> almost every day could be a gin day. <laughs> <laughs> I also like that. So you, in your time at Heritage Distilling, have worked on some pretty cool uh, experiments with gin. Can you tell us a little bit more about those? Yes, I definitely can. So in our Gig Harbor tasting rooms and soon coming to some of the others, um, a few new ones that we've developed are um, some contemporary style gins. Um, so the juniper is always present in gin, but in a contemporary American style, um, they m- might have another character that's emphasized a little more um, as well with the juniper. Um, and I actually kind of technically designed these for gin and tonics because I absolutely love gin and tonics. Um, 
one of them, and these are all in our distiller's reserve label and they're tasting room exclusives. Um, our first one, which we call uh, Flora, has a bunch of uh, lavender, rosemary, and a tiny bit of fresh cucumber added to it. Um, so it has this kind of very delicate touch of the floral note from the lavender, and then it just kind of bursts with this rosemary spice on the finish. Oh, wow. Yeah. Picturing that with like some lemonade and sitting outside. Sounds delicious. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's very good. Um, one of the other ones we did is we call Earth. Um, and the main one of the main components actually in it is fresh cucumber and also fresh ginger root. And then we dressed it with a little bit of a grains of paradise, um, angelica root, um, coriander, lemon zest, and licorice root. Um, and it kind of has this earthy flavor to it. It's almost the most traditional out of them as well. So you could get away with doing a little martini action with it as well. Um, but if you throw it in on some tonic and a bunch of ice and then garnish it with a bright, fresh grapefruit, it is absolutely delicious. Oh, wow. oh, yeah. Man, that actually sounds really up my alley. Maybe that's too traditional of me. though. Maybe I need to branch <laughs> out. So those are two of the four. What are the other two? So the other two we actually released in uh, two different proofs. Um, so we also have this in our first ever Navy Strength Edition. And this is where the whole contemporary style from. It actually started from this recipe and then the other ones grew out of it. And this one is full strength cardamom forward. Um, it also has some cinnamon stick in there, star anise, um, grains of paradise. And then we actually macerate a little bit of ground cayenne pepper in it. So it doesn't actually make it hot, but um, on the back end, after you finish it, you just got to get this little slight little bit of heat on there. What would you pair that with? I have actually made French 75s with this, oh. and then I actually uh, muddle some blueberry simple syrup with it, and it comes out great. That sounds amazing. How about so, the last one? Yeah, some of the other things that we've been working on, uh, we've been getting into like fruited barrel-aged gins. Um, so we've been taking all types and various used barrels that came from us, whether it's a rye whiskey barrel or a bourbon barrel, um, some used brandy barrels, and we've actually been experimenting with some used wine barrels. Um, but the first one that we came up with, uh, we actually just basically put our crisp gin into a barrel, and then we shoved it full of... Uh, fresh-cut pineapple, mango, tangerine, blood orange, and coconut shavings. Um, then we throw additional botanicals on there with a touch of clove. And then during blueberry season last summer, picked some locally out of my mother-in-law's garden, actually, about 25 pounds of blueberries. Wow. Um, and we shoved them into another barrel full of lemon and then poppy seed. We kind of got the inspiration from a blueberry muffin for the most part. Oh, wow. <laughs> Do you feel like gin is the easiest spirit to play with like that? Um, so it's fun to play with, but it's actually one of the most tricky, especially when you get into multiple types of botanicals, um, especially when you're working with eight or nine in a recipe. Every little small change or addition um, complements every other botanical in the recipe. So any little change will drastically change the ending effect with it. So there were tons of trials and errors and <laughs> oh, yeah. research and redistillation leading to the final recipe. On average, how would you? How much would you say it has taken you to get to one variety here? How many different experiments, or I won't even call them mistakes because they're just—it's <laughs> just refining the product. Yeah, one of them. Uh, so there's a bunch of small trials before, like just mixing different botanicals with each other to kind of see the route you want to go. I don't really count that so much. It's more just research. But actually, when we ha kind of have a solid recipe developed, and then we actually go into smaller like five gallon batch distillations within we're just doing small tweaks i mean it can easily be 12 to 26 distillations at that point wow oh my gosh and uh, some of the most fascinating things that 
uh, Dane and the team are working on are the barrel-aged gins, and uh, we pulled samples out, and the color is fantastic. And uh, even at 130 proof, we'll give samples to people who will tell you they don't like gin. But the stuff, the, the things that happen to the gin in the barrel create these creamy, sweet, smooth notes to them. And uh, it converts people who not, were not gin drinkers into now really uh, high-end gin consumers. I think that's such a, a a measurement of success. If you can get people to at least branch out or try something different or um, see them loving something that they hadn't normally before. So that's that's pretty darn cool. Yeah, one of the number one things when people come in the taste room and you try to offer them gin, they're like, oh, no, I'll never touch the stuff. It's usually like the first bottle they stole out of their mom or grandma's cabinet <laughs> maybe got a little stick off of, you know. But the, the times have changed since then. So my number one goal is to always get someone to try some gin and perhaps like it at the end of it. Well, Dane, we've heard that you love gin so much that you kind of make it an event like Gin Day when you guys are making it there. And I've heard there's even a special shirt involved. <laughs> yeah, so that actually started with getting people to like gin that thought they didn't like gin. Awesome. Um, that started actually back at my time at WSU because um, we needed a game day drink before the early morning games. And one of my early morning drinks besides the Bloody Mary is a gin with pineapple. Oh, wow. um, this is the gateway drink for non-gin drinkers. I'm telling you right now, this will get them every single time. <laughs> gin and so juice. We'd always Snoop Dogg. Yeah. <laughs> I said gin and juice like Snoop Dogg. It is. It's a gin and juice. Classic, <laughs> you know? so, gee. Uh, so we would go in there, and I went and tell people what it was, and I'd order them the gin with pineapple, and they're like, oh, man, this is really good. And they, then it led to this whole pineapple gin craze. And then once I started working in Heritage, we are making gin, and then there became this whole thing of uh, this pineapple tropical thing behind it. So we just started blaring like a tropical music on the days we were doing it on the distillery speaker <laughs> oh, system. Yeah. And then a few of us started actually bringing in Aloha shirts, and each of us got our own Aloha shirt. So every time we had, we were distilling gin on the schedule, <laughs> everyone started showing up. Everyone had their Aloha shirt on. There became times where I started buying pa- pineapples before work and giving them out to the most participation award. Um, and it kind of went from there. It's like a Jimmy Buffett concert. <laughs> I'm really into this. <laughs> it's like a Jimmy Buffett concert. Yes. Jimmy Buffett. That uh, sounds amazing. So... Yeah, that's a great line there, Justin. Sorry, I skipped over. <laughs> that's amazing. So what is the future, you think, of gin? We've heard that it is one of the fastest-growing spirits, the fastest-growing spirit, and see, people seem to be embracing it. Like you mentioned, it's not the days of grabbing it from uh, your your mom or your dad's grandmother's cabinet. What's the future of gin hold? Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of changes. I think those are kind of unknown exact what direction it's going to go in but there is a lot more people experimenting with it because you know gin traditionally started as an herbal medicine some people bring it back all the way to chinese medicine and they were basically using the common botanicals found in traditional cell gins to make some medicines taste better and then it ended up becoming a spirit after that but with the explosion of craft distilling you know all over the country um, even back in 2012, it kind of became a little bigger in the Northwest, and then a resurgence of it about two years after that. Um, it hit the East Coast only a, uh, actually like four years ago. There's tons of great distilleries over there making gin, um, and it's just been traveling across the rest of the country. And we have all these craft distillers almost in every state experimenting with, you know, 
new bases for the gin, new botanicals that have been used, or new flavor profiles or combinations, and it's just bringing a lot more to the table. You can see why I call Dane our gin Jedi. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a good nickname. Yeah. I'm trying to think of an Obi-Wan riff off, but I can't. But (laughs) still, very impressive. And even more, how about a personal goal for, you've already created some pretty incredible uh, profiles here at Heritage, but your goals with gin and Heritage moving forward. My goal with gin and Heritage is to get a bottle of gin in everyone's hand that they consume fully that said they, they did not like gin. <laughs> I like it. I don't like gin. No, I'm just yeah. <laughs> but not, not, They don't need to consume the bottle all at one time. Yes, yeah. good. It can, yeah. We don't encourage that. No, no. That's right. But no, and in regards to that, too, is just to educate more people about it, um, how gin is changing, how it's evolving, and most of all, how to use it as well, you know. You know, there's not technically a lot of gin drinkers. It's obviously on the rise. There's a lot more cocktails with it. There's not as many people that just drink it straight alone. But um, to be able to use it in different types of mixed drinks or cocktails, you know, it's a, it's a basically a platform to build off of itself, too. Well, and for the gin lovers that want to come try some of these uh, gins that you've come up with, you, I think you said a few of them are only at the tasting room. So where can people check those out? So at all of our taste rooms in Washington, um, currently the ones in New Harbor have all the variations. The barrel-aged ones will be out in maybe another month or two. They're almost finished. Um, and those are all single barrels. So we won't have a big allotment. Um, but then some of like our Seattle locations and uh, our location over in Roslyn, they just got their first batches over there. So they'll be getting into bottles and on the shelves over there soon. Awesome. Well, Dane, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and chatting with us today. Uh, This, the day of gin, the day of world gin. So we appreciate it. The best day ever. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Back to work. All right. Thank you. Coming up on Cast Club Radio, well, we're celebrating World Gin Day today, but pretty important day coming up right around the corner, one where we get to honor our fathers, the important guys in our life. Father's Day, we've got a great event a great experience that you can take your dad to and celebrate with him next Sunday. And we'll tell you about it. It's next on Cast Club Radio. Also, brand new cocktail recipe. You don't want to miss it. It's next. Welcome back to Cast Club Radio. If you're looking for something great to do on Father's Day, it's right around the corner here. And maybe you've procrastinated on getting your dad uh, something this year. But we've got a great event that you can take your dad to. Right now, joined by Bill Munn, Lowe's Seattle Director of Food and Beverage at Hotel 1000. Bill, how are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you. Now, you guys had a pretty cool event that you did last year. And now it's the second annual Scotch and Golf Father's Day event. Can you explain for people who didn't get to go last year what this is all about? Yeah, so it's a fun event that we uh, put on last year, and it uh, features, you know, a great combination of Scotch and Golf. So we have our Bell Lounge, which is across the lobby from a restaurant, All Water Seafood. And in the Bell Lounge, we'll be working alongside some well-known Scotch houses, uh, Ardbeg and Glen Morangie. And they'll be doing a scotch tasting. Uh, We'll be accompanied by specials on classic scotch cocktails, beer. Uh, We're going to have a great uh, themed buffet lunch available uh, put on by our exec chef, Ben Clausen. 
And alongside that, we have our golf simulators downstairs. So people will get a chance to try those out, do a longest drive competition. Um, we'll have some prizes and just kind of a chance to do something a little bit unique for Father's Day. Sounds cool. Both Maura and I work at our sister station, 710 ESPN, uh, during the day, so we love sports. Can you tell us a little bit more about these golf simulators that you guys have? Yeah, so they're kind of perfect for Seattle because they're indoors. So yeah. <laughs> nine months out of the year, when it is raining, um, you can utilize them. So we have two golf simulators on our uh, resort level in the hotel, and um, it's just giant screens that you can uh, – play up to 50 different courses on. So we have everything from Pebble Beach to Bethpage Black to, you know, classic Scottish ones like St. Andrews. And, um, yeah, it's great. You, you're down there. You can rent out the whole space, um, send a, you know, cocktailer down there to take care of you. You don't have to walk very far between each holes. It's really nice. I was just thinking that. You don't have to walk the greens. <laughs> you don't need a golf cart. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. It's good when you're having a few scotches. You exactly. You don't have to, like, lug anything with you. <laughs> So you mentioned a themed buffet. What can people expect also? Sounds like some pretty delicious food in the mix. Yeah. So both myself and uh, Chef Ben are dads. So we're all about about going over the top for this buffet. So you're going to have scotch eggs, which is classic. Um, There'll be a bunch of charcuterie and cheeses, you know, some local cheeses and meats and some some imported stuff. We're going to have a sausage bar with all sorts of different kind of mustards, kebabs, there will be some salad and fruit, so you don't feel too bad about yourself <laughs> if you're eating all, everything else. And then a few other little bite-sized appetizers. And then to go along with some of those scotch pairings, also oysters, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so our restaurant, All Water in the Hotel, partners with a few uh, great local oyster purveyors. Uh, Taylor Shellfish, which has been around for over 100 years. Uh, Hama Hama Oysters, Baywater Shellfish all great local purveyors who offer some great uh, Northwest oysters. So we'll include it in the buffet will be, you know, a a selection of different oysters from all around. And, uh, yeah, just a great chance to try all different kinds. I think these are the best kinds of gifts that you can give your dad when it's not just a single thing, but it's more of an experience like this. So if people have together, yeah, yeah, you get to spend the day together and actually some maybe some of his favorite things. So if people want to get involved and are interested, how do they find out more information? So uh, there's a couple different ways. Um, You can visit uh, eventbrite.com, B-R-I-T-E.com, and that's where we have tickets available. You could also go to the Lowe's Hotel 1000 Facebook page, and there is a link to the event as well. Or if you're downtown, you can swing by us on First and Madison, and we can take care of you there. Also awesome. Well, congratulations on you being a dad, too. So happy early Father's Day to you. Thank you. Are you going to be hanging out at the event? I will be at the event, but that's okay. That's okay. Um, it's yeah. it's kind of nice because I, I did it you know, in the early afternoon, so other dads and myself can enjoy it. And then after 3 or 4 o'clock, you know, head home, and hopefully the weather will be cooperating and you can grill something up. Yes. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds like a pretty pretty great afternoon. Well, thank you, Bill, for taking the time to chat with us. We really appreciate it. We'll make sure people check this out. Excellent. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Well, before Father's Day, you can still celebrate World Gin Day today, and we've got a great cocktail recipe for you that involves some grape gin. Yes, we call this the sunflower, and it's appropriate since the sun has finally come out and hanging out with us. And uh, you can use either our batch number 12 gin or our elk rider gin. Uh, Both gins, uh, two different recipes, but both styles of gin will work in this cocktail. 
Start with some elderflower liqueur. You can pick that up at uh, any specialty liquor store, Total Wine, uh, Bevmo, and uh, maybe some of the uh, larger chains that have really big liquor sections. So a half ounce of the elderflower liqueur, two ounces of the gin, one ounce of passion fruit juice, a squeeze of fresh lemon and a squeeze of fresh lime, and then uh, some grapefruit bitters. You can also get those at the liquor store. Put all that over ice and uh, stir it, and then garnish it with a fresh lemon or lime wedge. Ooh, that sounds pretty and delicious. Very refreshing for these uh, nice days that we've been having. So that cocktail recipe available online at heritagedistilling.com and where you can also download episodes of the podcast, both this one and past episodes if you need to catch up. That's right. If you've got questions, ideas, comments, um, recipe suggestions, send them to us by email, caskclubradio at heritagedistilling.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes. Everybody have an amazing day uh, celebrating. If you're celebrating World Gin Day, just do it responsibly as always. And we'll see you back here next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling. Check us out on MyNorthwest.com to learn more and catch up on past episodes. Cask Club Radio, brought to you by Heritage Distilling.